That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome into the latest edition of That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Sort of a special podcast today, a best of from a radio special on Tuesday night that I did with the fellow ladies of the trifecta, Kate Fagan and Jane McManus. We took over ESPN Radio for a three-hour special called Women Making History, and we timed it to coincide with March's Women's History Month celebration. Had a super awesome lineup of guests who work on the field, on the court, and on television. And you can find the whole show if you'd like to listen to it in its entirety or all the individual interviews with each of the guests under the trifecta on the ESPN app and iTunes. But I wanted to bring to light a few of the best sound bites and some thoughts from the women who joined us and some of my thoughts on them. I think you'll hear some great perspectives and insights from our guests. And I hope even if you're maybe the kind of person who doesn't always get into conversations about women in sports or female athletes, that you'll still give it a shot because you might be just the kind of person that we most want to listen to us. Sometimes I feel like we're preaching to the choir on a lot of this stuff. Um, But I do think that there are those who kind of listen with an open mind and view things a little bit differently after hearing perspectives of some of the greatest athletes and and super accomplished broadcasters, uh, the likes of which we had on the show. So hopefully you'll keep listening. And let's get started with uh, news that hit right before the special started on Tuesday. Um, So U.S. hockey star Hillary Knight joined us right after uh, news broke that USA Hockey and the women's national hockey team had come to what amounted to an 11th hour agreement on equitable treatment and pay in order for the U.S. women's national team to compete in the upcoming world championships. You can find the details of that deal on ESPNW. Johnette Howard had a great wrap-up of a lot of the terms um, that include increased annual pay for the national team members, a larger per diem, uh, better travel accommodations, and most importantly, I think for a lot of the women that were fighting for this, a larger investment in growing the game for girls. Um, So we asked Hillary about the support that the women's team received during their fight um, after announcing the potential boycott. And if you didn't see, they were supported by the MLBPA, NBAPA, DeMora Smith, and the NFLPA, hockey players, retired hockey greats, sponsors like Dunkin' Donuts, and tons of media members. And I think a lot of people really didn't understand just how unequal and unequitable the treatment of these women were until some of the publicity hit. Um, And I'm hoping that the results of this is not only that they've accomplished a four-year deal that does wonders for the girls' game and the women's team, but also that everyone's eyeballs will be on the world championships when they start because uh, now they're all riled up and they know what they were fighting for. Uh, So here's what uh, Hillary Knight had to say about getting all that support as they fought their battle. It was instrumental. Um, you know, the combination of the media and the support that we had from you guys. So thank you very much for that. But um, in addition to the, the digital age we live in now with social media and being able to be connected with people all over the world um, and to have people from different age groups and different um, industries weigh in and support us. It was uh, it was sort of a dream come true when you're trying to start a movement and you're trying to spark some change when you ha- can have the world behind you. It definitely gives you a little bit more wind in your sails moving forward. So the victory for the U.S. women's hockey team comes about 20 years after USA Soccer had a similar fight. Um, And USA Soccer has its own battles now, um, but it's interesting 
that it really took that long for USA Hockey to achieve some of the things that soccer did uh, back in the in the days of Julie Foudy leading the charge and trying to help Cami Granado, one of the greats in women's hockey, um, get her team squared away the same way. And USA Hockey pushed back in a way that um, delayed this progress until now. And back in the day, USA soccer team uh, helped enact a law that required more equitable treatment for the women's team. And you can see the result of that now. You can see how huge girls and women's soccer is, um, especially compared to hockey. And the sport really was able to grow in part because of the fight that Julie Foudy and, and the women's team back then did. And we had Foudy on the show on Tuesday. I asked her to tell a story that I've heard before that I absolutely love. Um, she's a World Cup and Olympic champ. She's now a colleague of us here at ESPN. Um, and every time I hear this story of victory for, for the U.S. women's team back in the 99 World Cup, I cannot help but smile and sort of cheer along. So here's Foudy telling this great story about the push that they made to play in larger stadiums in that uh, 99 World Cup right here on U.S. soil. So it was probably right after we played the Olympics, 1996, and maybe right before, and and uh, we were trying to convince FIFA, the governing body of soccer globally, that, hey, look, if we're going to host a Women's World Cup here in the United States, let's do it right. Let's do it big. Let's do it national stadiums, football stadiums. Let's do a national footprint. And they were like, no, that's crazy. Um, thankfully, even U.S. soccer was like, oh, I'm not sure. Thankfully, we convinced U.S. soccer. And they came on board to say, hey, listen, we're going to do this. We're going to do it nationally. And uh, FIFA again said no. <laughs> and they're like, no, what if no one shows up? And why wouldn't you just put it in smaller stadiums, 10,000 seats, keep it on the East Coast, make sure that you sell out so it looks good on TV. And we kept fighting. We kept fighting. Thankfully, U.S. soccer kept fighting with us. And eventually, actually, U.S. soccer had to say to FIFA, we will assume all risk of loss. And if we lose money and people don't show up, we will pay for it. Um, But otherwise, if it were up to FIFA, we would have been in a small stadium. And we would have never known the potential of what was out there. So that is the really cool backstory to actually going large and taking risk and believing that we could actually set the standard for not just soccer, but for all of women's sports. You were stuck in traffic on the way to your game. And you said what? (laughs) Right. What has caused all this traffic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're actually going to our first game, and we really, literally, didn't know how many people were coming. We we just were hoping people would come, and we did. I mean, we were almost going door to door, begging people to come, and doing clinics and autograph sessions and anything we could do. So, but we had no idea. So, we actually are stuck in traffic on the way to that first game against Denmark. It's at you know then what was called the Meadowlands, and we're on the turnpike and. And it was hours before the game. We're thinking, what the heck is going on here? And then suddenly we realized as we looked at the cars, they all had like, go USA, we love Mia. <laughs> and we're like, we are the traffic jam. This is <laughs> <laughs> We caused this. We still didn't know. They actually, in the documentary HBO did, our press officer, Aaron Heifetz, gets up on the bus. They have the footage of it. Someone must have been shooting it. That all of a sudden he goes, uh, I have an announcement. The game is officially sold out. 80,000, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. We were like, yeah! So Foudy's 99ers team, um, like I said, really kind of hoped open uh, U.S. soccer up for girls and for boys. Uh, it just was a craze that started with the 99ers in many ways and with Mia Hamm and, and Julie Foudy and, and all the highlighted players from that team. And it's carried on. The country has fallen in love with the current players, too, like Carly Lloyd and Alex Morgan. Um, but while that's been happening... 
when you look kind of parallel to the U.S. women's hoops teams, especially the Olympic teams, the players are still sort of fighting for respect. Um, and I've always been perplexed by a lack of respect for female athletes, particularly hoops players, because if you're a sports fan, if you really love basketball, wouldn't you totally understand why women love it too? Why women sports fans love hoops? And wouldn't you want your daughter, your sister, your mother, your wife, your girlfriend to be a badass basketball player? Or at the very least, to love the game the way that you do? And wouldn't you be impressed by any one of those women in your life being one of the best in the world? Um, so it just doesn't make sense why WNBA players, U.S. Olympic players, um, not only don't get the fame and the stardom and the, and the sort of support that you would think that they deserve, but also are sometimes even considered the butt of a joke, which is fascinating to me and infuriating. Um, and we had Seattle Storm standout Sue Bird, used to be you know a former UConn great, just one of the OGs of the WNBA. Um, we had her on the show on Tuesday, and you know I remember the days of Bill Simmons at ESPN using the WNBA as the butt of a joke in an article, and it was okay with the company and with everyone reading. And I've just never understood that um, whether or not that's your cup of tea. You might rather watch NBA. That's totally fine. Um, I've just never understood the animosity. And Sue Bird had some great thoughts on one of the reasons. Um, I'm sure there are more, but one of the reasons why um, they don't seem to get the respect that they deserve. I can even take it one step further. It's like, I'll be honest, when I was in college, I wasn't like checking the TV guide. Yes, the TV guide to see when the <laughs> WNBA games were on. Like that wasn't right happening. After it wasn't. <laughs> hey, I like emptiness. <laughs> um, that wasn't happening, you know, and I don't think it happens. You know, I talked to Brianna Stewart, you know, last year, number one pick. Obviously, everybody knows her name coming out of UConn and the whole nine, you know, with the whole four in a row. And she gets here and it's like, if you were to ask her, you know, WNBA players' names, she would have no idea. She didn't know. Right. She didn't know things about histories, about teams, things that I guarantee if I asked her about the Lakers, she would know, mm-hmm. or the Celtics, she would know. There, there, there's a major disconnect and it, it, it's tough. As far as like the general fan, I think where that all lies is dudes think they can beat us. And until, you know, I don't know, we have a Billie Jean King moment. I'm not quite sure what it's going to take. But because your average Joe Schmo goes, man, I can beat Sue Bird one-on-one. He's just going to, it's going to be the butt of the joke. And the reality is I actually don't care if you can beat me one-on-one. You probably can if you're bigger and taller and stronger. But you know what? You're not a better basketball player. Right. I'm still a better basketball player. I don't care if you can dunk on me. We had another former UConn star on Stephanie Dolson, who recently was traded from the Mystics to the Chicago Sky. And we asked her as a hoops player, as someone who knew as a young girl that she had something like the WNBA to look up to, what point it was when she first realized that female athletes weren't given the same respect and opportunities as men. When I first heard about overseas, because for me, I mean, going to UConn and before that in high school, um, you know, all I kind of thought was playing in college, great. And then once I realized I could get drafted, great, now I get to play for WNBA. But then, you know, you hear from the players who have been in the WNBA that I have to now go overseas um, to get paid enough money, you know, to not even compare to the men, but just a little bit more. Um, it was disappointing um, you know, obviously I'm still humbled for the opportunity to be in other countries, but we just don't get the same respect, you know, as the men. And I, I don't know why, um, you know, we are a sport and a league that, you know, some people just don't understand, I guess, which I don't get, but, um, 
it's just disappointing, and that's why we just want to get our word out and make people interested in, in watching us. So as female athletes um, in all sports continue to push for respect from viewers, so too do female broadcasters. Um, and we have seen tremendous strides made in diversifying sports television, sports radio a little bit, sports print. Um, but we still have a long ways to go. And we had Jamel Hill on, host of The Six, my fairy career mother, and just one of the most epic and amazing women I know. Uh, we had her on the show, and, and I kind of asked her, how has the industry changed in her mind since she started out as a columnist in Detroit years ago to where she is now co-hosting a sports center that's built around her and her co-host, Michael Smith. It felt like in the commentary space, it felt a little lonely. I think when I first kind of started writing columns um, and there were certainly women, other women who were writing columns, but it just seemed like, uh, especially in terms of television, there wasn't a lot of us that were uh, able to be in the broadcast space, giving our opinion, driving conversations. And so, um, now that it's it's not necessarily a crowded field, but uh, I, I certainly um, don't feel lonely anymore. And so, you know, for me, uh, just the fact that uh, you guys have your own platforms and you have so many different platforms and you're still driving uh, conversations, that to me is just like a, a, a evolution that this business desperately needed. There's always been this narrative of female media members backstabbing and catfighting their way to success. And it's something that I always wondered about as I was making my way up in the industry. There's this odd thing of being a woman in a world where, especially when it starts out, you feel like you've got to be one of the guys um, and how that not only causes you to stifle your perspective and your experience and, and your opinion in a way that actually doesn't benefit anyone, but also might pit you against the other women in the room as, as competition instead of as allies. And I actually found pretty early on, and especially in my time at ESPN, ever since I joined ESPN in 2010, that it's been almost the opposite for me. So many of the great female broadcasters I know have been eager to reach out a hand to help. And that's especially Jamel. Uh, when we, we asked her on the show on Tuesday how she wants to change the world, she said that she's always wanted her legacy to be based around mentorship. For me, um, I think the most important uh way that we can change people is like when we think about the world in terms of or change the world, when we think about the world and you think about all the problems, it tends to be very overwhelming. So I'm all about doing everything that you can in a very specific, super specific fashion uh, in order to create a change, um, you know, that's meaningful to you. Uh, for me, mentorship was always really big. Uh, it was certainly something um, that helped me in, in terms of my career. And so I try to do what I can uh, to let all the women uh, in our business know that, um, you know, I'm I'm here for whatever you need from me. And I've never been the type of woman, certainly on whatever platform I've been able to have, um, that has felt like um, that I need to wall off all the other women and, and you know, keep you off from getting opportunities. Because Lord forbid, if one of you get my job or whatever, if you got my job, you're probably better than me. You probably deserve to have it, right? Uh, so I never wanted to approach it that way. I think it's plenty of space. Uh, plenty of platforms, plenty of shine, plenty of bright lights here for all of us. And so if I can be some kind of stepladder to any of those opportunities, I'm more than happy to do it. Um, because I do think one thing that's very different on the television side versus when I was in print, like there is a lot of 
competition that can easily turn into jealousy, that can easily turn into something nastier. And this is not just limited to women. I mean, I think it's just the way that this business is built, that we're constantly fighting for opportunities. And even here at ESPN, it's a big place with a lot of really talented people. There's a constant fight for real estate. And when I uh, started doing television full time, I was I always had the thought that I was not going to let the way this industry work change who I am. And so uh, I've just chosen to stick to that. And that's the way that I want to change things, change things. And to me, if you want to see what is it, I don't remember who said it. I feel like I heard uh, former President Obama say it once, um, you know, be the change you hope to create. And I've told the story before on the podcast, but she really practices what she preaches. Um, she saw me on stage doing a bunch of goofy stuff that I do at the ESPNW summit and asked why I wasn't doing TV. And I said, you know, I've, I've done like one sports center hit and one, one hit on this show unite, but they haven't really seen enough from me to give me a shot. And she said, all right, next time I'm out for his and hers, I'm going to tell them that they have to use you as my fill-in. And that was really the start of my TV career at ESPN. I'd been doing almost exclusively radio and writing. Um, but she told them that I could handle it and it really all changed from there. Um, and so she really practices what she preaches and she's been instrumental in pulling up a lot of women within the company and, and giving them not only advice, but a shot. And, uh, I'll be always grateful for that. Um, she also talked about sort of the changing sports media landscape. And another guest we had on Tuesday is a great example of that. Jessica Mendoza. She's a former Olympic softball player turned Sunday night baseball analyst. First woman to call a college men's world series game. First woman to call softball world series. First woman to call just any MLB game, MLB playoff game, etc. Um, and now she's a regular Sunday night baseball analyst. So we asked Jess on Tuesday about the responsibility that comes with being a groundbreaker and being the first at something. I feel like that's the responsibility. I was with Billie Jean and Julie for this about inspiring women. So of course, like, you know, Billie Jean in particular is like totally poking me in the side, like the entire conference, just like, what, what are you doing, Jess? Like, what, what's next? What, like, mm-hmm. you need to, to continue to, to just reach more people. And I think what I, when, when I get nerves about Sunday night, when I get just that feeling of anxiety that I still get, even coming into the Sunday opening day, is that responsibility, Jane. Like, absolutely of this is is bigger than me and as much as I love baseball and I want to help change that game with just my own different perspectives I realize that there are women girls fathers sons my own two boys that just hearing my voice on a baseball game I, I know that this is bigger than anything that I am trying to do for for me and within even my own family it's it's something that's important and it just needs to open up eyes and ears of just it's a woman yes but as long as she knows her stuff, why not? Our colleague, Samantha Ponder, is set to take on a new role at the company, following a little in the footsteps of Jess Mendoza as far as um, sort of breaking the glass ceiling. She's taking over Sunday NFL Countdown hosting role and, and taking over the gig that Chris Berman had for over 30 years. She's a wife. She's a mother of a toddler. She's pregnant with a second child and getting ready for the upcoming NFL season in this huge new role. So we talked to her about balancing all of that and figuring out um, how to fit in work and life. There's so much going on right now and so much that we need to do. I mean, we're moving up to New York City for the fall and, you know, I've obviously got a a toddler already, this new job. and, And like you said, so much new information um, that it can get it can get overwhelming, and I had to remind myself like right now the priority is 
doing everything I can to be as healthy as possible and have all go well with labor and delivery. Like I can't get ahead of myself. And that's actually been something that's been really important for me to remind myself of constantly in every area is just to be all there wherever you are. Like right now, it could get really overwhelming for me to start thinking about that first Sunday this fall and what it's going to be like to sit in that guy's chair and try and, you know, do all the things that I want to do um, in order to live up to not only my own standard for myself, but the expectations of, of the viewers for a show like this. I can't let myself go there mentally, so I'm going to be here today and 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 try and be as present as possible for my daughter and my husband and and this baby that's coming. Yeah, be where your feet are is always a good message and I also live by the idea as much as you can to just take on what's in front of you, which is not always possible, uh but sometimes it feels like the only way to get by is to just see what's right in front of you and tackle that. You'll get to the next thing when it comes along. That's what she said. That's what she said. All of those incredible women, everybody that we had on, had her own unique story, but we wanted to find a way to connect them all. So we decided to ask them all the same question. It was a tough one, and we kept it super open-ended and broad just to see where people's minds went, and we got some really awesome answers. So the question that we asked them all was, do you envision a day when women's sports are equal to men's? And here's what Julie Foudy had to say. Well, I think that's the wrong question, actually. I don't want to be treated like men's sports. I don't think we should aim for that. I think we're different. I mean, that's what's so special about women's sports. And we're always going to be different. Um, But what I think we should aim for is that, you know, how long before uh, there's equitable treatment? How long before um, we see that women anywhere have an opportunity and equal access to play? How long before we all have a women's professional league uh, that is sustainable and viable? And so, you know, I don't wish us to be exactly like the men. Um, I love that women in general operate differently. I mean, we are grateful for the opportunity uh, and, we're accessible to the community in ways I think sometimes you don't get with the professional men's game. And, and so I think that is what we should be pushing. I absolutely love Foudy's answer, and she's right. It's really not the right question to be asking. But we continued to ask it anyways. So here's, here's how Jamel Hill answered. I don't pretend to know how to do that, and my answer is no. But I don't think it has to be in order to be considered successful. And I say that uh, – you know, I, I've said that about women's sports for a long time. Um, I think that's actually a mistake that is often made is that we do these exact comparisons with men's sports. And if women aren't aren't there yet, then we kind of shame uh, women who are in those sports or make it seem like what they're doing is not worthwhile or is kind of pointless, forgetting what incredible head start that men had. And I don't know. Uh, the problem, too, is technology, too. See, luckily for most of the men's sports, they were able to grow, go through their growing pains without having to compete with technology. It's back when everybody had a black and white TV, still using abacuses. Like, they were able to do <laughs> these things, you know. And so when you had UCLA completely dominating college basketball, there was nobody that was going to come on a radio show and say, and that's why they're bad for the game. Like, that wasn't <laughs> happening to them. And that's constantly kind of what women are are up against. But I do think there are broader victories uh, that certainly have been achieved. Um, we don't necessarily have to be covered equally. I mean, we should be covered equally, obviously. Um, and 
maybe the pay scale, that's a whole nother conversation. However, I do think um, that as long as uh, the part that I'm really proud of is that we have seemingly graduated from that point where now girls um, and women feel good about participating in sports, you know, and it's like I, I think of like it's cool to be a female athlete. Absolutely right. There's so much good stuff in there and, and the perspective and the expectation that we have when dealing with especially up and coming leagues that are just in their infancy, I think reflects a lot um, on on how much we view their success and, and whether we think that they there's real potential and viability going forward. And sometimes perhaps people give up too easily on things, really forgetting how much of a head start a lot of the other leagues that we just have come to know have gotten. And also the nostalgia and the fan, the fanhood that comes with watching something since you were a kid. A lot of these women's leagues didn't exist then. So you have to manufacture and, and create new legacies and, and memories and meanings um, and hopefully pass them on to another generation. Here's what Sue Bird had to say. Oh, man. I mean, would I like to say yes to this question? Yes, I'd like to say yes. Um, I hope so. I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime or our lifetime. Um, not to get political, but I think it kind of shows from the election. You know, I don't know that we're, we're, we're knocking on that door. The one thing I will say is kind of similar to what I said earlier. It's getting better. I mean, you can't, that is like, you, you can't even argue that it, it's not getting better. But to say equal, I don't know. I don't know. We continued to ask this question of everybody. Do you envision a time when you see women's sports being equal to men's? Here's Stephanie Dolson. I hope so. Um, I don't know. I, I pray that it does. Um, I was actually reading an article of uh, the commissioner, the NBA commissioner, talking about that there could be a possible, you know, that he would love to see a woman, you know, coach an NBA team. Yeah. And that was amazing. I was like, absolutely. You know, that, that would be an amazing opportunity. And I think it would be done easily. You know, women are so intelligent. And, um, you know, I'm excited for the future for women. Um, and I think, it, I think it could happen. I hope it could happen. <laughs> Stephanie, a bit more optimistic and hopeful than Sam Ponder. Here's what Sam had to say. My answer is no. I, I don't. I mean, <laughs> I mean, to me, it's not even necessarily the goal is to get, you know, respect and be equal in viewership and money and all that kind of that stuff would be great, obviously. But I think human nature keeps that from happening because there are always going to be men and women in a variety of areas who are just uncomfortable with uh, for men, uncomfortable with women being in a position that it's threatening to them. And for a lot of men, football was their thing. Historically, that was how they were able to separate themselves. And even if they didn't even play in high school, they were able to feel like they had something that the women in their lives didn't have. Well, now things have obviously changed and changed pretty quickly for some men in our country that are still really uncomfortable with the whole concept. And I think we all kind of experienced that daily on Twitter. But for me, the goal isn't to earn these men's respect and their admiration, because more than anything else, I think the goal should be that we're equal in value, not necessarily equal, meaning the same. 
Yeah, I don't begrudge Sam, especially her initial answer, which is, you know, my answer is no, I wish it wasn't, but, but that's how I feel right now. And it can feel a little hopeful to like look ahead and, and try to picture that world. Um, but April Ross, a professional women's beach volleyball player who also joined us on Tuesday, bronze medalist alongside Carrie Jennings, uh, Carrie Walsh Jennings, um, this was her take on the question. I do. I think there's just been a throughout history bias and all the men's sports have had um, a huge head start. And it, it's, for me, it's a big exposure thing, you know, like TV and, and print and just all the media outlets. It, it's what, what comes first, the chicken or the egg. And they just have so much more access to so many more fans that it's hard for women's sports to catch up popularity wise. Um, but I think there's so many people working, working for that. And I don't see it changing. And I see more women getting into sports and wanting to make it their careers. Um, I, I don't know if it's soon, but I, the idealist in me sees that it'll happen at some point. Here's how uh, Jessica Mendoza answered it. Absolutely love her answer. I mean, I'm so in it that like, sometimes I feel like, the answer can be no, just because I'm like, we have so far to come and it's so like beating your head against a wall sometimes. But the person in me that feels like, like we have to say, I have to say yes. And the reason is, is because it will happen. Absolutely. It has to happen. This is where we are headed as a society in general, when we talk about inclusion, equality, and women's sports, as far as being on the same page, yes, as men's sports, we look at how far ahead they are. And it seems like a daunting impossible task but unless we say yes and until we start really beating that drum be like we are going to get there and that's where we're headed it's 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 coming but there's a part of me that's always like oh my gosh like heck no it's never going to freaking happen I get so frustrated but I have to say yes like I have to absolutely believe because I'm call me whatever you want but like I really believe that by saying and believing these things that's part of the problem is even as a female athlete who's an advocate for women's sports, if I say no, then that's that's where we we all, we will be what we say we are. And I think we have to continually say, look out, like we are coming and we will be there. And the very succinct Hillary Knight, who I threatened her that she only had 30 seconds to answer it, and she sure did. Absolutely. I love Hillary's optimism, and I can't say for sure that I share it completely just yet, although I will say that Jessica Mendoza's insistence that powerful women be the first to say it and believe it and demand it does make me feel a little guilty for admitting that I am not quite there yet. Um, But I suppose my cynicism about the world and the ways in which women are still not afforded equal respect and opportunity kind of makes it hard to picture that, Um, especially considering the stereotypes that we still see about whether it's feminine or right for women to be punching, hitting, jumping, running, all those things. Um, But I'm sure plenty of women that came before me pushed for bigger things that seemed even further out of reach. So uh, the very least I can do is to hope and maybe, as Jessica insisted, to be believing and demanding for it. Um, But for now, I will at least be thankful that uh, all the women that joined us on Tuesday night and my co-host, Jane and Kate, Um, are leading the charge, that they're smart and capable and multifaceted and thoughtful and brave, game-changing, ass-kicking chicks that I consider to be part of my squad. Not like Taylor Swift's squad where she really hangs out with them all the time and they go on stage and sing stuff together. More just a hypothetical, theoretical, 
imaginary squad that I carry around with me when I'm trying to do ass kicking things all day. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed some of those. And like I said, if you want to hear the whole podcast in its entirety or any of those interviews off by themselves, you can go to the Trifecta Pod page on uh, ESPN website, ESPN app, or iTunes. Thanks as always for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.